Good afternoon. My name is Michael, and I serve as one of the elders of the church. It's so good to be with you this afternoon. Open up the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Jonah is in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, you can look at the table of contents. It's on the very first few pages. Find Jonah there, and you can turn there. There's a game, um, a kind of a get-to-know-you game called Two Truths and a Lie. And I know, you know, if you're a Christian here, you don't lie, but in this game, it's appropriate. And so the point of the game is you list three things. Two of them are true about you. Like I would say, my name is Michael. My second thing might be I'm married to Hannah. And then that third thing, you know, or whatever order you use, that'd be a lie about you. You'd be trying to trick people, you know, to see how well they know you. And I have a friend named John. Um, you know, he has the craziest things in his three facts. You know, he can say, I've survived um, a terrorist attack. And that's, you know, you might be like, no, come on. No, that's true. Uh, he could say, I've survived a plane crash. You'd be like, okay, you can't, no, both, that's true also. Um, you know, there's one thing he can't say yet. He can't say, I've been swallowed by a fish. And I doubt there's anyone here who could say that. I certainly can't say it. But it was true of the prophet Jonah. And last year, off the coast of Cape Cod, it was true of a guy named Michael Packard also. He was diving for lobsters off the coast of Cape Cod in Massachusetts when something truly biblical happened to him. He was swallowed by a whale. Packard said, all of a sudden I felt this huge shove. And the next thing I knew, it was completely black. Now after about a minute in the dark, the whale surfaced and spat him out onto the water. But it was just enough time, those 60 seconds, for Packard to contemplate his desperate situation. He said, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. Now, if you were caught in Packard's predicament, where would your thoughts run? What would you think about for those 60 seconds? Today, we run right back into the book of Jonah. In chapter 1, if you remember, Jonah was commissioned by God. Uh, unlike the prophet Isaiah, who said, here I am, send me, Jonah said, get me out of here, and he found a boat, headed to Tarshish. He ran away from the presence of the Lord. Really, he kind of sailed away. So God hurled a storm, and he hurled Jonah right into the sea. So today we find Jonah, he's not in the bottom of a boat. He's in the belly of a fish. And we learn in this book, in chapter 2, that even in our darkest moments, even when our consequences are actually because of our own sin, even there, we find that God saves from the depths of sin. God saves from the depths of sin. Let's read Jonah. We're actually going to read the last verse of chapter 1, 1, 17, all the way through chapter 2. Let's read it, and then I'll pray for us. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. 
saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. God, we see your word. We thank you for speaking to us. And we remember our desperate situation without Jesus Christ. Lord, we're so thankful that you raised us up from the pit by the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray that as we understand this book of Jonah, that we would see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you change us by the power of the Holy Spirit into his image. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points in the sermon. Number one, swallowed in the sea. That's the end of chapter one to chapter two, verse one. Point two, saved by God. Chapter two, two through nine. And point three, spat on the land. 2.10. Swallowed, saved, spat. So as we jump into verse 17 of chapter 1, we see that Jonah's been swallowed in the sea. He's swallowed in the sea. Look at verse 17. In God's sovereign grace, he appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. If you think back in the beginning of the chapter, verse 2, Jonah received God's commission And by verse 3, he ran. He was called to go to Nineveh. He was committed to go to Tarshish. But at the peak of Jonah's disobedience, instead of submitting to God's will, he asked to be hurled into the sea, into a watery grave. Yet, as Jonah was thrown off that boat into the sea, into what he thought was God's wrath, instead, he got swallowed up by God's mercy. The book of Jonah teaches that God is sovereign. There's no limit to his rule, no place where he doesn't reign. There's nothing out of his control. He's sovereign over Israel. He's sovereign over Nineveh. He's sovereign over the wind. He's sovereign over the sea. He's sovereign over the roll of a dice. He's sovereign over the sailors. 
He's sovereign over Jonah. He's sovereign over you. He's sovereign over me. God is sovereign. The book of Jonah also teaches that God is gracious. He hurls a great wind to retrieve a wayward prophet. He hears the cry of pagan sailors and he stops the raging sea. Even when Jonah chooses death in disobedience, God swallows him up and he gives him life. Over and over again in this book, God reminds Jonah that he is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, if you look back at verse 17, you'll see that Jonah had a lot of time to reflect on who God is. In fact, he had three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. If you remember back to that lobster diver, Michael Packer, he was in the mouth of that whale for about a minute, 60 seconds. Jonah was in the belly of this fish for 4,320 minutes. That's 72 hours, or three days and three nights. But more than just getting into the weeds about the length of Jonah's stay in this fishy hotel, Jonah's time in the fish actually points beyond this book, even beyond the Old Testament. It points all the way to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 38 through 42, Jesus is having a conversation with some Pharisees. He had just done some miraculous deeds, pointing to the fact that he is truly the Son of God, the Messiah, and yet what do they ask him? They say, Jesus, give us a sign. Here's Jesus's response. He says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days, three nights. So as we read Jonah, already, just in the very first verse of this text, we're forced by the author of the whole Bible to consider Jesus Christ. Jonah points to Jesus Christ. But of course, there's some differences, just as we saw last week. Jesus didn't have a near-death near experience like Jonah. On the cross, there was no deliverance. There was no last-second rescue. Jonah sank to the depths of the sea, but as we saw in chapter 1, it was for his own sin. It was for what he had done. But on the cross, Jesus drank the depths of God's wrath for our sin. As Jonah spent three days and three nights in this aquatic graveyard, Jesus Christ went down into the earth for three days, and then he rose again. Jonah's deliverance, it was that dress rehearsal for Jesus' resurrection. So friend, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, consider how you've been saved from an even greater consequence than being thrown into the sea. You've been saved from the eternal consequences of your sin. Your rebellion against God, it deserves eternal death, but because of Jesus Christ, you get resurrection life. 
You have hope because your sin has been canceled. You have joy because your greatest enemy, Satan, has been defeated. You, my friend, have life because your old master, death, has no more sting. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. He, Jonah was saved um, by being swallowed in the sea. You know, he was saved from the consequences of his own sin. And think about your sin. Think about the consequences of your sin. You've been saved if you're in Christ. And as Jonah sits in the belly of the fish, he finally, finally turns to prayer to the Lord. So our point number two, saved by God. If you remember, back to chapter one, the ship's about to sink, and the captain of the ship pleads with Jonah. He says, please, call out to your God, pray. Jonah refuses. Then all the sailors gather together. They at first called out to their own gods. That didn't work. Then they call out to the one true God, to Yahweh. And what does God do? He answers their prayer. Finally, in chapter 2, Jonah himself prays. He finally prays from the belly of the fish. You know, this, um, this whole chapter, chapter 2, it mirrors the book of the Psalms. So many of the Psalms look just like this. And lots of the Psalms, over a hundred of them, uh, they actually have this little inscription at the top. It usually tells us, you know, who wrote the Psalm and why they wrote it or what situation they're in. So, for example, Psalm 63 starts with a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. You know, I think if Jonah's prayer was a psalm, it would be a psalm of Jonah when he was saved by God in the belly of the fish. That's his psalm. It's a, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. He's thanking the Lord for his salvation. We can look at what he's, what he's praying in verse 2. Jonah repeats this line. He says, I called to the Lord. The Lord answered. Jonah cried to the Lord. The Lord heard. Now, Jonah was in distress. A lot of the children's books, they kind of picture a uh, whale or a fish swallowing Jonah right before he touches the sea. But as we look in Jonah's prayer, we see that he wasn't just swallowed up in the shallows. He was drowning. He was going down deep. Look what he says in verse 2. Out of the belly of Sheol he cried. Sheol, it represents the realm of death. Before Jonah was swallowed up and safely in the belly of the fish, he was swallowed up by death itself. He was sure that he was going to die. And we know that the sailors hurled Jonah in the sea at his request, but look at verse 3. Look who Jonah attributes the muscle to. For you cast me into the deep. Jonah fled from God's presence, but he found himself surrounded by God's sea. Your waves, your billows passed over me. And as Jonah descended into the sea, his prayers ascended to the Lord. Look at verse 4. I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah fled from God's presence. And now what he feels is what it's like to be far from God. His sin once delighted him, now his sin afflicts him. 
And so he has nowhere else to go. His thoughts turn to the place where the Lord's presence dwells on the earth, his holy temple. Verses 5 and 6 run parallel to verses 3 and 4, but they add a, a clearer picture of Jonah's crisis. He's surrounded by water. He's covered in weeds. This prophet has sprinted. He's sailed, and he sunk his way as far down as the earth would allow him. He's down at the bottom of the sea. Look there at verse 5 and 6. He's at the root of the mountains. The bars closed upon him forever. Jonah's in his watery graveyard. He thought, I'm going to die here alone at the bottom of the sea. There's no more escape. There's no more running. But look what happens at the last second. At the last moment, verse 6, God raised him up. Yet, what a beautiful word. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. There at rock bottom, after sinking and drowning, and after almost losing consciousness, verse 7, He's swallowed up by a fish that's been sent by God to save him. It's amazing. For the first time in this book, Jonah stops his downward descent. Now, the book of Jonah is 48 verses. If you divide that by two, it's 24. And right in the middle of the book, Jonah moves from going down to going up for the first time. And it's when he's farthest from the temple in Jerusalem. It's when he's farthest from the Lord that the Lord answers his prayers. The Lord hears his cry. The Lord brings him up from death to life. It's amazing. God saves Jonah from the depths of the sea. And we see the same is true for us. God saves us from the depths of our sin. During the 16th century, there was a monk by the name of Martin Luther He was drowning in the guilt of his sin. He would sit with priests for hours every single day to confess his sin. They got tired of it. They were like, Martin, you've got to stop coming here to confess. We're tired of listening to you. But he was burdened. He just kept wondering if there was more he needed to do to secure his salvation. And then... God met him in the pages of Scripture. He was reading the book of Romans, and in chapter 1, verse 17, a single phrase stopped Martin Luther in his tracks. The righteousness of God. Luther reflects on this verse. He says, I hated that phrase. And he said it's because I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. But after wrestling with that text, Day and night, God mercifully revealed to Luther the context of that verse. Not only should you not be ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation, but when it talks about the righteousness of God, it's talking about the righteous lives that we live by faith in God. Luther said that when he understood this, he felt as if he had entered paradise itself through open gates. God saved him. Later in Luther's life, in his book, The Bondage of the Will, he wrote, 
No man can be thoroughly humbled until he knows that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, devices, endeavors, will, and works, and depends entirely on the choice, will, and work of another, namely, of God alone. You know, I imagine that's how Jonah felt. He's there at the bottom of the ocean. There's no way out. He's about to go unconscious. He's about to die. His own salvation is completely beyond his control. His muscles had no more calories to burn as he sank to the bottom of the sea. And yet, that's that word, yet the Lord brought him up, up from the pit. In the last two verses of Jonah's prayer, Jonah reflects on this wonderful salvation that he has. Look at verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In chapter 1, you remember the sailors cried out to their vain idols. No one answered them. But Jonah cried out to God, and God answered him, and he rescued him, and he saved him. And Jonah can't but help to say, salvation belongs to the Lord. We just sang that right before this sermon. I don't know if you saw that. Um, it's interesting. I saw that. Crystal Lewis apparently wrote that in 1989. I think the song's a little older than that, though. It goes all the way back to the time of Jonah. And it's actually a kind of a futuristic song, because as we read in Revelation 7, this is on page 7 of your bulletin, what will they be singing around the throne? Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and, and to the Lamb. We're going to be singing that with the saints for eternity. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Soon, that's going to happen, that great multitude Every nation, every people, every language around the throne crying out salvation belongs, as in it's God's, to God and to the Lamb. Now, if you were Jonah and God saved you from the depths of the sea, you would never forget that that had happened to you. You couldn't help but thank God for it. It's amazing, though, as Christians... The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, He's purchased a greater salvation for us. He's saved us from the depths of our sin. Instead of us getting thrown into the sea, God throws our sin into the sea. But friend, if you're not a Christian, you're just like Jonah here. You're in the water and eventually your self-salvation plan's going to run out you'll no longer to be tread the water. You'll sink. You can't turn to vain idols because they don't answer. They pay off for a little bit. Maybe your idols are found in your office tower or maybe at the gym. 
But if you choose that, like Jonah says, you forsake God's steadfast love. Friends, the Lamb of God can save you from the wrath of God. Jesus is that Lamb who was given, who was slain for our pardon, and His promise is peace for those who believe. So let me encourage you, friend, count the cost and consider following Jesus. Following Jesus means dying to yourself, holding a funeral for all those idols that you've worshipped. There's a cost to it, but it's always worth it. Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving reminds us that it's never too late to look to God for mercy. So friend, look to God. You know, as we consider this prayer of Jonah, it's crucial that we see that there's actually something missing in Jonah's prayer. There's something missing. I wonder if you noticed it. Sometimes it's easy, as we're looking at a book like Jonah, to miss the forest for the trees. And so we need to take another pass. Let's kind of zoom out of the book for a second and hover over at 30,000 feet. And we're going to look at Jonah's prayer and see if we can see what that crucial element is missing. So go back to chapter 1. Remember, the Lord commissions Jonah. Jonah disobeys. Chapter 2, the Lord saves Jonah. Jonah prays. Now watch this. It's going to repeat. Chapter 3, the Lord commissions Jonah. Jonah obeys. The Lord saves the Ninevites. Chapter 4, Jonah prays. Now, the book breaks up into these two sections. One and two go together. Uh, Three and four, it kind of starts the story back over, right? It's Jonah's second chance. But if you look at these two prayers, the one in chapter two that we just read, and the one in chapter four, you're going to see something really different. When God saves Jonah from his own sin, Jonah's prayer is bursting with thanksgiving, appropriately so. But he makes no mention of one thing, sin. The whole reason he's in this situation, the whole reason he's sunk to the bottom of the ocean and was swallowed up by a fish. No mention of it, not a line, not a word. If you look in chapter 3, when God saves the Ninevites, in chapter 4, Jonah prays. Look at his emotions. He's full of rage, not a mention of thanksgiving not a drop. So it seems that Jonah delights in God's salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? But it's when it's for him, not for them. So we look back at Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. You'd think that after this rebellious run that he's been on, after getting hurled into the bottom of the sea, after almost drowning and being saved from that, that Jonah would at least acknowledge what he's done. Ask for forgiveness for what he's done. Praise God for being merciful even though he's a sinner. But there's nothing. So even as we think about Jonah chapter 2, we need to keep that context of the book in mind. Even though Jonah shows here a flicker of humility, his prayer actually still reeks of self-righteousness. 
you know, we talked about it yesterday, or last week, but Jonah provides for us a window and a mirror. It's a window into the heart of God. What is God like? And chapter 4 is kind of this summary statement for the book, but God is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. Jonah's a window for us to see God. But then we talked about last week that Jonah's also a mirror, a mirror where we get to see a little picture of what we're like. We're a little bit like Jonah. And here, this window is particularly in regards to prayer, uh, the mirror. A prayer reveals something about our hearts. You know, David Pallison said, the fact that we pray doesn't necessarily mean that we are where we should be spiritually. Just because you pray, it doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. On the contrary, David said, prayer can be a key revealer of the idols of our hearts. Prayer can reveal patterns of self-centeredness, self-righteousness, materialism, the fear of man, you name it. Prayer reveals hearts. So what does your prayer life reveal about you? Friend, do you pray? Do you run to God for refuge? Do you lift up your voice to praise Him? If you pray, who do you pray for? Do you pray for other Christians and their struggles? Do you pray for other churches and their faithfulness? Or is your prayer life a bit like Jonah's, self-centered? If you look at the prayer, I mean, over and over again, Jonah prays, I, me, I, me, I, me. His prayer is all about him. He doesn't mention the sailors. Apparently, he's not even thinking about them and what happened to them. Is it possible that your prayer life is just about your job and your family and your health and your problems? You know, one of the ways that as a church we care for one another, it's in our covenant, is that we commit to pray for ourselves. So I'm not saying don't pray for yourself, but we also commit to pray for others. Let me encourage you, along with your time in the Word every day, open up that page of the membership directory and just pray for church members. I've heard one pastor say that church membership book is the second most important book you own. Commit to praying for one another. Not only should we ask, who do we pray for? We should also ask, what do we pray for? And we see in Jonah's prayer, there's a lack of confession. Sadly, for many Christians, confession of sin is a foreign language. You know, last week I was reading this prayer in the book Valley of Vision. It's um, kind of a collection of prayers. My wife and I were reading it, um, and I just want to read it to you. Listen to the depth of the confession of sin found here. Merciful Lord, pardon all my sins of this day, week, year, all the sins of my life, sins of early middle and advanced years, of omission and commission, of morose, peevish, and angry tempers, 
of lip, life, and walk, of hard-heartedness, unbelief, presumption, pride, of unfaithfulness to the souls of men, of want of bold decision in the cause of Christ, of deficiency and outspoken zeal for His glory, of bringing dishonor upon Thy great name, of deception, injustice, untruthfulness in my dealings with others, of impurity in thought, word, and deed, of covetousness, which is idolatry, of substance unduly hoarded, improvidentially squandered, not consecrated to your glory, the great giver. Pardon all my sins, known and unknown, felt and unfelt, confessed and not confessed, remembered or forgotten. Good Lord, hear and hearing forgive. Amen. You know, my wife and I were reading that during um, our family devotions, which is this chaotic five-minute period during breakfast with our children screaming, and we read uh, one prayer from there. We pray for a couple people in the membership directory. We pray for a couple of our family members. We sing a song together, and we do all that magically in about five minutes. We read this prayer, though, and I realized something immediately. There were so many sins on that list that I had never, ever confessed to the Lord. Perhaps that's your story too. Maybe a good place to start would just be, Lord, forgive me for not confessing my sins as I should. You know, as you think about fathers and husbands, it's our responsibilities to lead our families in prayer. Husbands, do you confess your sins together with your wife? Fathers, do you lead your family in confessing your sin to God? And friends, I get it. If you don't know where to start, maybe a great place to start is just opening up the Scriptures. Open up Psalm 51. Pray along with David after he committed adultery. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, you could also pray the corporate prayers that we pray as a church. Those prayers of confession, let those guide you. We confess our sins together as a church. We ask for God together for mercy, for forgiveness, for cleansing. And the beauty of it, you know, as we sang one of the songs earlier, it made me think of the fact um, before the throne of God, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, you know, the purpose of confession is not just to load yourself up on guilt and to just feel so down on yourself, pitying yourself. It's to do that and to look to Christ who hears, who forgives. It's His blood that cleanses us. Let me encourage you, friends. Confess your sins to God. And as you confess, your understanding of God's grace will just grow and grow, increase and increase, and your self-righteousness will just fade away. Jonah was swallowed in the sea 
by God's grace, he was saved by God. And he cried out, salvation belongs to the Lord. Little did he know God had already saved those sailors. Little did he know that God would save the Ninevites too. He was swallowed. He was saved. Finally, he was spat, spat on the land, point three. Verse 10. You know, it actually says he was vomited, vomited out on the land. It's a little more graphic, isn't it, than just spat. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It's an amazing verse, really. Look at God's sovereign control over a fish. A fish. Jonah got on a boat. He thought, I'm getting away from Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. And the Lord said, "Uh, the boat's not going to work. You're going to need different transportation. I'm going to provide a fish. And where was that fish headed? You're not going to believe it. To dry land, back toward Nineveh. Getting vomited by a fish, you might hear that and think, whoa, that is God's judgment. If somebody told you a fish swallowed me and then vomited me out, you might think, what did you do, man? But here, we find that it's grace. It's God's grace. It's a second chance. But even at the end of this chapter, aren't we wondering, will a change in Jonah's location mean a change of heart? Will salvation from the sea mean that Jonah seeks the salvation of others? Will Jonah rejoice in the God of his salvation even when God saves not only him, but them? And we have to wait until chapter 3 to find out. God saves from the depths of sin. He's the God of second chances. We run, He runs after us. We rebel, He redeems us. We sink in our sin, He saves us. But friends, one day soon, when Jesus Christ returns, there will be no more second chances. I wonder where you'll be on that day. Will you sing with the saints from every tribe and people and language? Salvation belongs to our God. Friend, I hope you're there. Cry out to Him. He will hear your prayer. Let's pray. God, we are amazed that you would give salvation to sinners. We're amazed at the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you there's no other name by which we can be saved. We thank you that none of us deserve salvation, yet by your grace you provide it freely. And we pray that we would be there on that day, singing with the saints, salvation belongs to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, in our last song, we see...